Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be uh, with you all here this morning. Yeah, worshiping together, I appreciated the emphasis on resurrection. That is our hope, and that is the message that we have for the people around us, for the world. It is a tremendous uh, message of hope. Uh, maybe before I dive into the message for this morning, I'll give uh, just a short uh, report of our trip yesterday. Um, there was three of us that went north, uh, John Glicks, uh, us, and um, John Irvins, and we went north on 81. We're scouting for area, not necessarily for specific properties at this point, but more or less looking for a general area uh, where would be a possibility of doing a plant. So we went north on 81. Uh, 476-81, and we went east this time. Instead of going west, uh, we went east of 470 or east of 81 there, up past Scranton, about directly over from Scranton. Uh, we went over until we got close to the uh, New York border. Uh, there was an area over there called Beach Lake. Um, that was, uh, it was a good trip. I felt like the Beach Lake area was a nice area and uh, had some things, I think, to offer for us as a uh, outreach, or at least to consider there. Um, so yeah, it was a good trip. We had a good time together. Appreciated John and Barb going with us there and uh, giving us some insight and wisdom on the plant. So uh, continue to pray. We are looking for direction as it relates to this, and uh, it looks like uh, a lot of work, but we are also, um, like we were singing this morning, uh, we have a message to take to the to the uh, to the society around us, and um, I think that is a, a goal of ours as we uh, do a plant that we can prayerfully consider the area where the Lord would want us. All right. Well, I'm uh, doing my assigned topic from the uh, from the. Uh, circuit preaching, circuit messages, and uh, my topic for uh, message was avoiding occult and pagan influences. And it had several subheadings underneath that or subtopics, and that was uh, Halloween and uh, yoga and Eastern mysticism. And um, as I began to study for the message, I realized it's a, it actually is a pretty big topic, and there's many dire directions in which it could go. Um, and so we're doing maybe a bit of a flyover rather than a diving in and getting into the, uh, a lot of the details of it, but more or less doing a, uh, an overview of the topic rather than a detailed. Much could be preached on the subject of mysticism and also on the subject of Halloween and, and, um, and um, occult and pagan influences. As Christians, we look into society, or we look at society around us, and it doesn't take us long for us to see the effect of pagan influences around us. I think, in short, you could say that 
all that isn't wrong in the world is the result of paganism. And the head of this pagan society, which is Satan, has an agenda and a plan. And he is intent on dividing and conquering. That is his strategy. Second uh, Corinthians uh, verse 11, I'm, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 11 verse 3 says this, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. <clears throat> and uh, we know he is out to destroy. As it relates to the message this morning, four things to consider as it relates to the occult and pagan influences in our society. Uh, paganism is the first thing I want to look at. It, look at and what is it? What is paganism? Second, we'll look at the uh, Halloween. And third, we'll look at mainly we'll be looking at mysticism and uh, its effect on Christianity and maybe uh, touch briefly on yoga. And then the Christian's response, what should we do with all this? <clears throat> but first, let's start with paganism. Now, as I was uh, endeavoring in, in uh, approaching this subject, uh, the heading says, avoiding occult and pagan influences. So, so what is? What is pagan then? What is paganism? Came to my mind, what, what is paganism? Maybe you all had this settled long ago, but I don't think I completely understood what paganism is before I actually started this study here. So maybe somebody would like to share what, it, what in just a brief summary, how would you summarize paganism? If somebody were to come to you, you met him on a street and he'd say, I'm a pagan. Uh, what kind of descriptive thing would you think about for this individual? I think in a summary I would say everything opposed to God. Everything opposed to God. I think that sums it up very well. Probably my uh, first initial reaction when I saw the word pagan and influences, um, I, I don't know that I had a lot of interaction, but I think of I think there's a a group that calls themselves pagans and they they would typically ride motorcycles and they would have these leather jackets and have a symbol on the back and it says pagan you know so when I saw this I said oh maybe it'd be talking about that but Willie I think uh, summed it up very well so I did look at the definition and it says this paganism is a polytheistic or pantheistic nature-worshipping religion. Now, if you're like me, that didn't tell me anything more than what I knew before. So what is polytheism and what is pantheistic? Polytheistic is this, relating to or characterized by belief in or worship of more than one God. That is polytheistic. Okay, so theism, is the belief in one God. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. So if you want to worship God, that's fine. If you want to worship Allah, that's fine. If you want to worship Buddha, that's fine. They're all gods. We're just, you know, there's just a bunch of them. I'm also proposing, though, as, as, as it relates to the study here this morning, that we include atheism and humanism 
into this group of the polytheistic view. I believe these fit in this category because uh, in humanism, what self thinks becomes the supreme authority. In humanism and in atheism, what self thinks becomes the supreme authority, thus making self a god. <clears throat> uh, well, so then what about pantheistic, a polytheistic or pantheistic nature-worshipping religion? Pantheistic, then, is the belief that God and the world are ultimately identical and that all is God. So it's a doctrine which identifies God with the universe or, uni or regards the univer universe as a manifestation of God. A doctrine which identifies God with the universe or regards the universe as a manifestation of God. So what are we saying by that? We're saying that um, the trees in the forest, for example, are a manifestation of God. And so, um, they, are, they become a part of God themselves, right? And in the caste system, there's many different, and we don't have time to get into all of that. I this is a pretty broad subject. But that, that is the, at the core of pantheism is the idea that if you kill a cow, you might be killing a high caste part of God, if you will. It's, it becomes all in, it's all woven together in the pantheistic worldview. And they would admit or tolerate many gods. So how is paganism expressed then? Paganism is expressed in, I believe, multiple ways. I have listed five here. Uh, mythological religions, witchcraft, and um, I'm going to say here uh, Eastern religions, but along with that is mysticism. That's how paganism is expressed. Uh, ancestor worship comes along with the Eastern religions. And nature worship. So then in pantheism, what happens is since the tree is a part of God, then you must then you would need to worship it, right? It becomes a part of the worship process. Um, and of course, I believe uh, humanism falls right in that. I believe in our day and age today, there really is, if you boil it all down and you look at all these different belief systems and religions, there really is only two um, major beliefs or religions. All, you, have, you have Christianity, and then you have all else. And uh, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in here in just a minute. The, uh, in Christianity, God is authority, right? In Christianity, God is authority. The theistic view is a belief in one God, not many. The theist believes that every object in the natural world exists because God creates and conserves that object. Okay? So God creates the trees. He creates, he created all things. We believe that. And we also believe he is conserving all things. 
So if it would stop raining completely for several years, we know that it wouldn't, the, the trees couldn't be conserved anymore. There would be no water. Uh, humans need water to live. So in that sense, he's, he's conserving all things. He creates and conserves. Every finite thing has a character of being dependent on God. Okay? That is the view of theism. The other view, I believe, has the view of man is an authority. All other religions are man's ideas. It is not from God. The term atheist describes a person who does not believe that God or a divine being exists. And worldwide, there may be as many as a billion atheists. And yet in our culture, uh, we may not be coming uh, I mean, uh, face to face with um, as much Eastern religions as we are with uh, things like humanism and atheism right in our society here today. Paganism at its core is a rebellion against God with Satan at its head. So in a broad sense, that is a battle between Christianity and paganism. Ezekiel 28:15 and verse 17 says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So that was Satan. Satan was um, with God until iniquity was found in him. What was the iniquity that was found in him? Thine heart was lifted up. That is at the core of paganism. Thine heart is lifted up. It was Satan's incredible pride that led him to rebel against God. He refused to accept the fact that all he, that, that, that he came from God. And as his pride grew, he determined to take over God's kingdom. And in essence, he started a war that he could never win. And ultimately, he took all of us. He took all of creation with him. And he's intent on overpowering, overthrowing. <clears throat> I believe we should be aware of Satan's schemes. I don't believe we should fear him, but I believe we do well to be aware of what, what his schemes are. And uh, I believe one of his primary schemes is to deceive his people, of God's people, to deceive God's people. He will do all he can to keep unbelievers from surrendering their lives to, to Jesus. And he really doesn't mind how that happens. Whether false teachers, humanism, or other religions are radical ungodliness. Satan's plan for Christians is to keep them from growing in the strength and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his agenda is to keep Christians also from sharing their faith. Satan is the author of all paganism. He is the responsible party for the origin of things like pornography, abortion, and homosexuality, and many others. So then what about humanism? Let's look at humanism a little bit and how it affects our us 
as Christians today, and specifically our church here. <clears throat> Webster's devo- uh, definition of humanism says this, devotion to humans, devotion to humans. Devotion to humans, ultimately putting self on the throne. So how has humanism affected our nation and culture? Um, The humanism we encounter today is an evolutionary, atheistic worldview. And so um, they they believe that the world evolved over millions of years and and we are uh, responsible to keep the world from, uh, or to get the world to become a better place all the time. And and we know that the world is in fact going to become worse and worse. Um, In many of these humanistic uh, worldviews, homosexuality is embraced and celebrated. uh, And that is really, um, recently we had went to the uh, Ark Encounter this summer. And uh, when you get to the Ark Encounter, there's buses that will take you back to where the ark is. And so we got on the bus and drove back through there. And we got back to where the, uh, there's a place where the bus is parked and you get off, go into the little area there. And uh, as you get off the bus, off to the right, there's the entrance way that goes into the ark. And um, it's, it's a fairly large uh, ark. And the, uh, the rainbow is across the ark. And um, so I got off the, the bus, and I looked off to the right, and I saw the rainbow, and I had a reaction. What do you think my reaction was? My initial first response. That he followed the rainbow. And this is what humanism's effect has on Christians. Think about this. I was rather disgusted that my first response, the first thing I thought about when I saw the rainbow, is homosexuality and gay rights. That is far from the truth of what the rainbow actually is. The rainbow is a promise that God made with his people. It's a, co- it's a sign of a covenant. It's a beautiful thing. And it has become tainted by paganism. So I got over my initial response and I said, you know what? We're going to take a picture, a family picture here. This is, this is, a, this is not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed about. It is not a symbol for human rights, but it is a symbol of God's covenant for his people. And what happens then when you mix pagan ideas with Christianity? You end up with millions of years instead of six-day creation. You end up uh, compromising on many, many areas in, uh, in, the, uh, in the church, divorce and remarriage, uh, homosexual lay members and eventually pastors. And uh, what really is at the core of paganism is people deciding what is right in their own eyes. 
rather than theism, they are saying, I get to decide for myself what is right. <clears throat> this is the outworking of paganism creeping into the church. And Satan is quite okay with those things happening under the disguise of Christianity. <clears throat> so then, out of paganism, you have, uh, it becomes, it's, it expresses itself in many different ways. And uh, one of the ways is uh, Halloween. We're coming up on our Halloween uh, season here. And um, it is an expression of paganism. This holiday is an expression of paganism. Halloween brings several things into focus. We see uh, jack-o'-lanterns. We see ghosts, cemeteries in the yard, skeletons on front porches. Uh, you go down the road, you'll see big billboards filled with screams with an ugly face on it, blood and fire and skeletons, and it's just ugliness. And the list goes on. Um, recently, I think maybe last year, my wife and I were going for a walk down through Red School Road there, and we're going down through, and I, I said, what? There, right beside the road, was sticking up uh, two legs and two feet, skeleton. Uh, it was two partial hands stuck in the ground and two feet stuck in the ground. And I said, hmm, that's weird. Like, why, why would somebody do that? I, as I kept walking, I said, why would somebody put skeletons in the yard? Why would you celebrate death? For the Christian, we celebrate life, right? Not death. But that's paganism. Paganism celebrates death. And this, this, it's all throughout this Halloween, the Halloween practices. Um, seems like, I don't know, I think maybe in the last 10 years, it seems like holiday or um, Halloween decorations in the sense of skeletons and ugliness has increased substantially. In, in my last, I would say in the last 10 years and probably even really started ramping up 20 years ago. I don't quite remember as a little boy having all these ugly things like we do now. And uh, it's, it's become something rather, rather, I don't know, just evil, very evil at its core, paganism. So how did Halloween start? Halloween had its origins several thousand years ago with the Celts. Um, over in Ireland, there was a small group of people uh, called the Celts, which um, if you like, uh, you know, as a college football, I think, there's a team that's called Celtics. Well, that's where they come from. They got their name from the Celts. In its early conception, people believed that life itself was coming to an end, not just the year. So it was celebrated towards the end of the year, or celebrated, it was, um, it was not really a celebration at that time. They imagined that the night was haunted by ghosts, witches, and spirits of the dead. They imagined that with the night filled with dangers and omens. 
And so if you know what an omen is, they, they believe that that is when things will be revealed to them of what is going to happen in the future for them. Uh, if you go out and you would have, uh, they believe that you're, you're, some really bad things were going to be, uh, happen to you that night and will be revealed to you what's going to happen to you. And so it was a, a night filled with fear and trembling and, and just uh, horror. And concern, these people, concerned for their survival, they often lit large bonfires and made gruesome sacrifices and sometimes even human sacrifices. Very paganistic at the core. Well, the early church, the Catholic church, came along and they adapted, began to adapt paganism rituals, trying to make this evening, uh, rather than being something to be afraid, they would bring celebrations into it. And so they kind of um, joined it. And St. Patrick actually was very influential in inc incorporating some pagan practices with the, with the church um, that was an effort to make this less fearsome but it actually was a detriment to the church. And much could be said about that for the sake of time, we won't get into this. The reformers then, the time of the Reformation, they shunned these pagan holidays and pagan practices very much and, uh, and succeeded in doing that. And um, it brought an end to the practice uh, of those fearsome and gruesome holidays that uh, St. Patrick had kind of incorporated into Christianity. So even after Christianity had succeeded in suppressing these pagan holidays, it took on a new meaning and turned into a night of jubilee later on. By the late 1970s, there was a great resurgence of Halloween adult activities. And like I said, in the last two decades, it has exploded in the U.S. as a national and a highly commercialized holiday. Um, this year, 2022, it is anticipated that over 200 million people in the U.S. will celebrate Halloween. There are, our population is at 332 million. So of those 332, 200 will be celebrating Halloween. That tells you something about our culture. They say where your money goes, follow the money. Uh, it also speaks about our culture. In the, uh, 2021, there was $10.1 billion spent on Halloween. In 2005, interestingly, in 2005, there was only $3 billion spent. $3 billion in 2005. 2021, 10.1 billion. It is growing in leaps and bounds. Halloween costumes in 2021, it was 3.3 billion was spent on just Halloween costumes and 3 billion in Halloween candy. That's a lot of negativity, right? That is the reality of Halloween. What is the Christian to do with all this? What are we to do? We'll get into that a little later on. I want to also look this morning at mysticism. And let's just shift gears here for a little bit and look at mysticism and what is it. 
Mysticism is a belief that union with deity or ultimate reality may be attained through contemplation and subjective experience. Um, and I'm looking at mysticism primarily through the lenses of, of Eastern mysticism as it's practiced in yoga. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, an exercise, and it has actually become Christianized, if you will, uh, where these yoga practices that will bring uh, yoga practices into Christianity and do the meditation form of yoga and its stretches and all that and Christianize it. And if you were like me, I always thought yoga was a, uh, um, like a fitness thing of some kind. I never paid much attention to it, but it actually is demonic in its, in its, um, in its origin. Now, yoga is something that is practiced in Eastern religions, very closely connected with Buddha. Um, <clears throat> it is a new age pantheistic exercise. Webster's definition, as I looked it up, a Hindu theistic philosophy teaching the suppression of all activity of body, mind, and will in order that the self may be realized in its distinction from them and attain liberation. All right? So let's, let's unpack this for just a little bit. The belief that union with deity or ultimate reality may be attained through contemplation and subjective experience. All right, union with deity. From the Christian, how do we become one with Christ? Union with deity. Time in the word. Meditating on the word. Correct. More? New birth. New birth. That's right. We become born again and we are then become union in one with Christ. Okay? It is not through some mystical meditation type of thing. Okay? The belief that union with deity. Union with deity. Okay, so we got that, kind of understand that. Or ultimate reality. So are you all familiar with virtual reality? They make virtual reality shows. They have, um, um, the, they have these glasses that you can wear. You tape it on your head, and it's about this wide out the front. And then you can put a cell phone in the front, and you watch a virtual reality show. And the virtual reality is like you have this thing strapped on your head, and you're in another reality, right? Well, I've seen a, a somewhere I saw a post or something that had taken this virtual reality uh, goggles, if you want to call them that, and had taken the front off, and it was just a clear shot out. There was nothing there, no virtual thing. It was reality, right? And I said, I like that, reality. Well, virtual reality puts you in another world, OK? So ultimate reality is not really reality. It's what you wish it were. Right? The ultimate reality. That may be attained through contemplation and subjective experience. So that means you can think about something and think and think and think, right? Or you can, you can out, 
get away from reality, if you will, and subjective experience. So they disconnect the reality part of things and get into a mystical view. Very much influenced by personal feelings. Disconnecting from, uh, from intellect. Knowledge of the divine is inaccessible via human intellect. And so they believe, this mystical view, believes that knowledge of the divine, you cannot attain it through intellect. So Bible study, for example. We know that uh, connecting with God means connecting with his word. And one of the ways you do that is you gather with a group of people and you have Bible study. And you look at God's word and you learn what God's word is saying to you, to us, right? Speaking to us. And you can spend a lifetime doing that. That is not mystical. It's reality. To connect with this, this, um, this uh, mysticism has the idea of uh, that to connect with God or divinity uh, means disengaging from reality. Now, does this have its influence on Christianity today? This mysticism uh, that was brought in by yoga practices into our culture today? Absolutely. Um, you look at some of the, uh, the, I think it's at the underpinning, it's what underlies the, um, the charismatic movement, for example. Because they disconnect from what God says in his word and go by what you're feeling. So if you don't like that your friend died, you must somehow raise him from the dead, right? Because your feelings are not like, but it's a disconnect from what God says in his word. It's the underpinning of the charismatic movement. And we could talk about uh, the different churches that are practicing this, and, and um, Cliff, I really appreciated your, uh, your thing on music the other evening, very much so. And um, maybe sometime uh, you should give us a presentation on, on the, uh, the influences of, of uh, Bethel music and some of that in the Christian church. I'd be sometime interested in hearing that. Somebody once said, if you, I don't care who you're, who, which God you believe in, just let me write your music. And I'll, I, that will be the, the route of influence. <clears throat> these, these churches are at the, the, the very core of what I'm talking about this morning, this idea of mysticism. <clears throat> And unfortunately, these things are so readily available on social media, and you know, it just, it's very easily makes its inroads into the churches today. So let's look at the idea of mysticism a little more. Jesus said, is that what the Bible says, mysticism? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay? So God gave us a mind, let's use it. 
The idea of emptying yourself and just emptying yourself and emptying yourself and just continuing is not biblical. In fact, it's a very dangerous place to be as a Christian. Because when you do that, you're then inviting these pagan influences into your life. We should rather be looking, looking at God's word and allowing ourselves to be, to grow and mature through his word as a Christian. Philippians 1.9, I want to look at a passage here for just a little bit. He, uh, Paul says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. What? In what? In how you feel? No. He says this, And more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that your love may abound more and more in what you know to be true, right? And in judgment. The Bible does not speak about emptying ourselves in a mystical kind of way. It's just not a biblical concept. Um, going on there, are a few more verses here. But he that lacketh these things, I'm sorry, that, you, that they make you that you shall not be, I'm sorry, I'm at the wrong place. One nine, I'm sorry. Um, wrong passage. <clears throat> Yeah, and, that, and more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. So why do we not get mystical and empty our mind all the time? Because we need to engage and think rationally, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under glory and praise. Bible never speaks about separation of knowledge and a love for God. It is sound doctrine that deepens our knowledge of God. And when our knowledge of God is deepened, then that enables our love for God to deepen. I repeat that. It is sound doctrine that deepens our knowledge of God, of who God is. And when our knowledge of God is deepened, then that enables our love for God to be deepened rather than through a disconnect from reality. The disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but it is the friend of the false teacher. Disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but it is a friend of a false teacher. <clears throat> so this, this mystic idea is expressed then in, um, in, uh, in yoga. The yoga practices in, in many of the yoga stretches, uh, the way I understand it, is actually postures that are um, that are connected to a worship to Buddha. 
And so you might think, well, I'm just doing stretches. Well, really, it, it, is, a, it is a direct connection to a worship with Buddha. The goal of yoga is to train the body, to train the mind, in order to, listen to this, realize one's own divinity. The goal of yoga is to train the body, to train the mind, in order to realize one's own divinity. Paganism at the core. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen through nineteen. I'm just going to read several verses here. We have, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables, fables here, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, he says this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And um, the, again, the idea of uh, this mystical idea of somehow we're going to get connected with God by emptying ourselves is really an unbiblical view of, of uh, Christianity. <clears throat> so what are we to do with all this? What then is a Christian to do? I believe it is crucial for the Christian to go to God's word, to immerse ourselves into the Bible. Um, well, you know, there is no chapters and verses that mention jack-o'-lanterns or trick-or-treating or costume parties or yoga exercises. In fact, the word yoga is not even in the Bible. Yet, I believe there are solid principles which, if applied properly, can enable us to respond to these issues in a way that pleases God and also is a positive experience for our family. You know... Evil is pervasive in our society. And uh, there, there's some who try to just get as close as we can, as close to the fire as we can without getting burned. But the Bible says that we should abstain from all appearance of evil. And God is very clear in his word. I believe we are to avoid every kind of evil and not open up our doors to the influence of paganism. <clears throat> and I know, in one sense, a Christian cannot avoid all evil any more than a boat can avoid all water. Yet, we need to be careful and pay attention to what's going on around us. Beware of the battle. Do not become complacent to the things around us. 
and careful on the influences that some of those things have. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The following verse says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And I believe that is one thing we can do in this Christian, in this uh, pagan society that we live in. Um, you know, you go to um, Lowe's, for example, in our uh, area of town there, we have a Lowe's, and you walk into the Lowe's, and it's like the first thing, the whole, the whole entrance is just polluted with all this ugly, evil um, Halloween decorations. And... Um, I believe it is our responsibility to resist and stand firm. And that when the smoke clears, we are found standing true to Jesus. Ultimately, it all comes down, I believe, to being careful not to compromise biblical principles in our lives as we respond to the issues in our contemporary culture. Whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I believe this, this is a supreme test for every believer. The Lord must so permeate our lives that all we do, everything we do, is for his glory. Not my glory. Not celebrating something he, he detests but that all we do is for his glory. And even the most mundane and routine things in life. Why? Because we have been bought with a price. I just want to read this verse in closing. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's kneel together and pray.